0: we see over a third of our participants repeat which is a phenomenally high and i think it speaks to the community and the environment that's created it's uh it's kind of a cocoon of goodness right it's where you realize like there's good people in this world and you see people be very vulnerable that are normally not vulnerable people and when you ask for help it can be very freeing, and when you give help it feels really good and i think we've created an environment where it's really encouraged to do both
1: We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired.
2: Hello, and welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Before we dive into today's conversation, I just want to give a shout out to a review on Apple Podcasts from Spirit Sis. She writes, a beloved staple, the community Stephanie and Marnie cultivated through this podcast is super heartwarming. They truly care about their listeners and everything is so intentional. Great listen. So thank you for that great review. And if any of you listeners out there would like to give us a review, head on over to Apple Podcasts and we would so love to hear from you. And if you would like to come on our show for a 15-minute experience where we'll guide you to identify what's holding you back from your ideal health and wellness, and we'll analyze that with you so you can walk away with a tangible action step, we would love for you to sign up for our Health Transformation Audit. It is only on a first-name basis, and you can head on over to our show notes or our website and sign up, and we cannot wait to have you on our show. And now Stephanie and I are so excited to share today's amazing guest, Mark Hodelik, CEO and co-founder of 29029. Mark came from the consulting world where he focused on Fortune 100 companies and has since founded multiple companies spanning health and wellness, natural resources, and event production. And he's also an accomplished endurance athlete. He's completed 100 mile trail runs, ultra marathons, Ironmans, and he has a family and he loves to travel with his family and create experiences with his family. And as we dive into this episode today and learn about 29029, we talk about how as we grow older, we're really less inclined to try new things, um, especially if they could result in failure. And what he has created, this 29029 experience, really creates a safe space to challenge yourself and be a part of something bigger than yourself. And, you know, he talks about the value of what a challenge like 2029 whether it's mental, physical, or emotional, how, you know, what that value is on your life. And so we're super excited to share this episode. Stephanie and I are committed to 29029 hopefully summer 2024 and let's just dive right in but first a quick word from our sponsor good health saunas i have had my good health sauna for over a year now and you guys i love it so much from the moment of purchase to the delivery and setup good health sauna staff they've been absolutely amazing they've answered all my questions they did a great job with the setup And I have started this routine where I'm working out in the morning, I'm taking a sauna, I'm showering, I'm refreshed and I feel great for the day. And I just feel relaxed during the day, I'm sleeping better at night and I feel like I'm really adding to my overall health and happiness. And I'm also
1: removing toxins from my body and I feel amazing. Infrared saunas produce penetrating heat to help you sweat and heal your body from the inside. Sweating on a regular basis in your good health sauna can help you feel rejuvenated. There are so many health benefits of regular infrared sauna use that include detoxification, immune system support, muscle repair, chronic pain relief, relaxation, deeper sleep, and so much more. I've been using my sauna now regularly for the last several weeks and love how relaxed I feel, especially when I do it in the evening as part of my routine. It really helps me unwind from the day and improve my sleep. So why not bring the benefits and convenience of the sauna experience into your home with a commercial grade Good Health Sauna? Good Health Sauna has three stores, one at the Mall of America in Minnesota and two in Wisconsin, in Appleton and Waukesha, but they ship anywhere in the U.S. For more information on the various sizes and options and for your special offer for all of our listeners, head on over to their website, www.goodhealthsaunas with an S, and mention the Art of Living Well podcast.
2: Hi, Mark. Stephanie and I are so excited to have you on our show today to discuss the 29029 experience that you co-founded. I have to tell you, last year, I was climbing Ajax Mountain in Aspen, and I met a guy who was training for this but at the time i really didn't understand like what he was talking about. we were asking him what he was doing at the top of the mountain and he was explaining this to us and we were kind of like had never heard of something like this. so our group was a little bit, you know, intrigued but again like didn't think about it again after that moment and then when stephanie connected with you through steve And we started researching what what it was and what you guys are doing. We're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And so we're just like so pumped about it. And I'm turning 50 in April and Stephanie's turning 50 a little bit after me, but not so far after me. And we are both like committed to trying this out. So we're so excited to talk about it more on the podcast. And before we dive in, though, one thing we do like to ask is... What is your non-negotiable to start each day?
0: Time with my kids. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I I think uh, making sure I get quality time with them because I know they're going to be at home forever. And um, yeah, that's what makes me happy. So I want to make sure I get that with them to start the day for sure.
2: How old are your kids?
0: They're 13 and 11, two boys, Chase and Dylan. So they're a handful but uh, that's probably because I'm slightly mischievous and I encourage it. So <laughs> we have very active, we have a very active, chaotic and fun household, I'd say.
1: Oh, oh, I, I love that. it. Yeah. <laughs> Marty and I both have three kids. So oh, yeah. And they're You're- around, you know, not far from your kid's ages. So yeah, it's a great time. Sure.
0: Well, I love that you met someone at Ajax. I've hiked that trail numerous times. And, um yeah, the, the, the challenge of the trail as well as the altitude there is certainly a heck of a place to train for 29 and 29. So whoever you met should have been well prepared for whatever event they were doing last year for sure.
2: Yeah, I, I don't even know. It was like, you know, how you talk to someone on the top of a mountain. Like it was so sure. random, the whole thing. <laughs> But anyway, Mark, we would love to hear your story and how you went from business strategy consulting to like dreaming up this amazing experience company that really allows, you know, like-minded individuals to invest in their self-discovery and endurance and all these amazing things.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I'll give the very short version of, I've just been someone who's always pursued my passions, right? And When I was a management consultant, well, I worked with amazing people and I learned a heck of a lot about professionalism and presenting and a lot of different ways to evaluate a company and and honestly just work, right? At the end of the day, work with others, work with clients. I learned a lot, but it wasn't fulfilling for me. I didn't care about the subject matter and I wasn't as heavily invested maybe as I needed to be in my client outcomes, quite frankly. And was pursuing things on the side I've, I've always kind of been an entrepreneur, always had side businesses or hustles maybe before that was a popular term. And you know through multiple different event companies and different event iterations, what I realized is that I really liked events that built community and that I was best at serving fewer people at a very high touch point, very highly curated experience, rather than serving the masses. And so 29 and 29 became something where, as I got into ultra endurance sport, you know, I was a college runner, but I never ran a marathon until, you know, the third leg of an Ironman when you have to run a marathon to finish. That was my first marathon. And Wow. Wow. Yeah. It, well, no, I mean, maybe that was the smartest way to do it. But, um, but then did, you know, a hundred miler and things like that. And as, as I started seeing the value that, that I found in my life of having a really big goal and just how the whole year was kind of centered around this event, Became something that I felt like a lot of other people were interested in, but they didn't want to make a lifestyle change that it took to do an Ironman. They were intimidated by the distances of the ultra events. And yet I felt like so much of it was much more mental than physical. And so 29 to 29 was kind of a manifestation of wanting to create a community, wanting to serve fewer customers at a price point that allowed us to do what was truly best for the customer experience not have to cut corners, not have to worry about sponsors. So there was a lot of thoughts around, you know, the business model that went into this and really serving the customer first. And then lastly, giving people a story to tell. And and I don't mean to make it sound simple because I kind of had highs and lows over probably a decade of entrepreneurship before this really hit its stride, but I've had very supportive business partners that have just let me really build this and and run with it. And, And I think that we've always focused on the customer experience. Uh, first. And we've seen success from um, being really committed to our vision and our values that we set as a company. So, um, you know, to summarize it, I guess I would say, you, you know, I've followed my passions, but I've also always wanted to be involved in things that, that allowed others to find a better version of themselves and and really support others. And in this, in it not being a race and the format, for those who don't know, is this is where we rent a high-end ski resort, And you hike up it and take a gondola down over the course of 36 hours. And you attempt to hike the vertical gain of 29,029 feet, which is the height of Everest. And which makes this unique is that it's not a race. There's no first place finisher award, there's no age group finisher awards, there's no gender awards. This is. This is simply something that is a, a it's kind of a journey of self discovery and you self score it. Every time you climb the mountain, you take our brand with cattle branding irons and you burn it into, you know, reclaimed wood board and you keep your own score. And, you know, it's, it's, it's meant to be the opposite of the technology driven world that we live in. You know, put your phone down. You don't need RFID chips and electronic timing. You know, you can keep track of something in a different way. And I think it creates a much more visceral experience. And it's something that makes it much more memorable as well.
1: Yeah. I didn't realize that, but that's how you tracked it. That's pretty cool. And I, you know, so much of what you just said, it's like you've had all these different entrepreneurial endeavors and that kind of led you to the ultimately co-founding 29029. And I know also you've been charity and just kind of giving back and creating these really um, strong teams of individuals. That's been kind of a big part. It sounds like of what you've tried to establish with everything and how that has, you know, transpired into the success that you're having with this very curated experience for everyone. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, before we dive into the ultimate endeavor here that we're going to talk about, just how, you know, charity and giving back has been part of your culture, like the culture that you've been creating and just your experiences leading up to this point?
0: Sure. Look, I, I, I've always been charitable to an extent, but I think I realized pretty early on in my career that my ideas and my time could be far more impactful than a check that I could write. And that's probably because I wasn't making much money and I couldn't donate much money at the time, but, but I kind of saw where leverage and scale could really come into play. And in the first event and concept that I had was to crown wall street's best athlete. Right. And it was, it was something that was a niche. There was a story around it. And um, all my peers worked on wall street and I was a management consultant and it said well hey if we're all going to get together and most of my friends were in, in pretty high paying industries all being on wall street how do we use what we're doing for good at the same time so let's let's set a fundraising minimum amongst ourselves to compete right and it was pretty high it was lofty for us in our early 20s to set a goal of raising ten thousand dollars a piece from our peer networks and and suddenly that became an event that you know only had a few hundred people but we were raising that was two million dollars a year and you kind of saw the impact of, you know, tapping into a community that really wanted to give and doing it in a way that made it fun, right? We, we did it in a very unique style where it wasn't just donate for me. It was, hey, I'm going to set a goal. If I exceed my goal, you're going to donate more. And if I miss my goal, you're going to donate less. What you find out about food behavior is no one wants to donate less, but they're happy to donate more. So there's really <laughs> only upside that could be from it. And I think we, we kind of gamified fundraising in a sense through that event. And, and look, we created a community there, but then it was a community that had a very nice charitable back. The 29 and 29 kind of the community came first and look at, at the decathlon, my event that I had with a partner of mine, while we had a tremendous fundraising success, one of the challenges was there were a lot of people who wanted to do our event that weren't aligned with, say, cancer research, specifically pediatric cancer research. They said, well, if I'm going to use my time and effort in my network, I don't want to fundraise for that. What I wanted 29 and 29 to be was not necessarily tied to one specific charity or cause, but allow people to use it as a mechanism to fundraise for whatever was important for them in their life, right? So I think we've created an amazing format where it's community first, support who you want, but as an organization, we're not aligned with any specific charity and it's not a fundraising event. And I think it gives people a lot more flexibility to use the mountain in the way that serves them and their communities and the things they care about the most.
2: I love that. I think that's great. I mean, it's great to have charity and to offer people the opportunity to give to charities when they're doing races and different things but I agree with you I think it's really nice to give people the flexibility to choose who they want to donate to I feel like a person is so much more motivated to raise that money when they're when they have a personal connection or they they're passionate about whatever the charity is so I think that's of course, and
0: you know, I, I learned a lot of lessons. You know, the not-for-profit world is phenomenal, but I think that there's a lot of practices that don't necessarily align with an entrepreneur. There are certain standards around the percent of dollars raised and how much goes to the actual charity. I think that's important, but why aren't we focusing on the volume of dollars raised? Would right. you rather raise ten million dollars and two million go to administrative fees, then only raise two million? And 500,000 go to administrative fees. Like the percentage may be better in the latter, but I'm actually not. I did bad math there, but I think you get my point. The, <laughs> yeah. The point yeah. Being, like, over a, a volume of dollars it goes to the betterment of charity, society, yeah. sign, whatever it may be. And those things don't exist. And what we had before is a very interesting model where, you know, we were quite frankly a for profit company that just had a fundraising angle to the event where 100% of every single dollar donated went directly to a beneficiary. But it created this weird space of, were well, you a not-for-profit or are you you know, right. are, are, are you a for-profit enterprise? And, and quite frankly, as an entrepreneur, that, that struggle was hard of, we're, we're a for-profit company, it just happens to do a lot of good. And, and yet that caused a lot of tension of, well, you shouldn't be doing that good right? Because you should just focus on the fundraising piece. And I think that um, that did get to be tiresome after a while, not singling out any certain organization or partner or anything, but it, it did get to be something where it was like, look, I think we still have a very great positive impact, but, but being a little bit more control um, in the environment that we're in and maybe not be subjective to you know, norms that are kind of placed on a, on, a, on a certain type of an event or certain type of fundraising activity.
2: Well, Mark, I'm wondering if we can change gears a little bit. And, you know, you told us what the 29029 stands for in terms of the height of Everest. But I know it also the event gives like ordinary people a chance to really do something extraordinary. But can we dive in and talk about like, how does it actually work? Like logistically, like what does that 36 hour period look like?
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'll start a little bit further back and say, that we're with you every step of the journey and that the end of your story is really when you return home after 29. The The main climax of the story is when you're in the event, there's 36 hours, but people's journey is far longer than that. And what I found that, that didn't exist in the, the real endurance community was a comprehensive approach, right? And what I mean by that is when you sign up for an Ironman, Ironman puts on a wonderful event. I've done them. It's a first-class event all the way through. But you're on your own to find a coach, find a training program, buy your bike, find out about wetsuits. Like, sure, there's articles and things, but you're pretty much on your own to book all your own lodging or food and beverage. And I found, like, that part to be overwhelming to the logistics. We wanted to make this turnkey for people in the sense where, hey, look, you can maybe picture yourself on the mountain. You say, hey, look, this isn't a race. It doesn't involve running. It doesn't involve swimming or, you know, buying a bike. I can hike, I can do that. And this speaks to you in some way and the community does. And, and yet we wanna remove all the logistical barriers. So very specifically, when you sign up, people are getting a training program, they're getting bi-weekly coaching calls, they're getting nutritional advice. And then when they actually get to the event, their lodging is taken care of, their food and beverage is taken care of. We have massage therapists on staff that are included in your in your ticket. So it's really like, hey, anything you're gonna need to succeed throughout the weekend, we've kind of filtered and taken care of for you. And then the actual event itself is, it's a little bit of choose your own adventure. You have 36 hours from 6 a.m. Friday morning to 6 p.m. Saturday night to summit a mountain that we've rented as many times as as, as, as possible and take a gondola down. So you're hiking up and you're taking a covered gondola back down. And people are sometimes nervous about safety and, and things like that. I mean, you're, our longest trail is a little... Uh, less than four miles or average trails around two miles. We have so many people lighting aid stations, volunteers, music, ski patrol, safety, medical, all over a very small trail. I mean, I've done Leadville, which is 104 miles. You're lucky to see someone every two or three hours, right? So I think in the world of ultra endurance sport, this is about as contained and safe and protective environment as you're going to be in by still being, you know, out in nature and exposed to the elements. In those 36 hours, you can hike 10 hours and go get a massage. You can go to sleep in your tent. Some of our events have safari glamping tents. Some are at luxury hotels. It just depends on the location. And it is huge on your venture in that sense. If you come off the course, you're not disqualified. If you want to get a good night of sleep, you can just get a good night of sleep and finish the next day. Some people need all 36 hours and some may only need 20 or 22 so I think it was really one of those things where we said, hey, look, there's, there's, let's make this approachable, but there's no easy way to get it done. And what I'll say is, no matter what type of physical condition you're in, the majority of our participants have never done a marathon. The vast majority have never done anything over three or four hours. No matter how great an athlete are you are, we had two Olympians from the 2016 Rio triathlon team. So if you think about Olympic triathlon... Only three people in the entire country represent the US. Two of them did our event in 2018. It still took them 17 to 18 hours, right? There's there's just not a shortcut to get this thing done. So that's not meant to be intimidating. It's meant to say if, if you have the grit and the ability to, to not give up on yourself and continue to work to something, you can finish. We had an 80-year-old man, Jim Fisher, finish last year that said it's frustratingly doable, right? He wanted to wow. quit many times. If he kept <laughs> moving forward, he could finish. Right. And in that sense, the best way I would describe it, it's frustratingly doable. And then you learn lessons you can apply to every other aspect of your life when you go home.
2: I was just going to say, like, how hard is it when you say frustratingly doable? But like, are you like taking one step in front of the other by the end, like just barely making it up the mountain? Or is it like people are chatting, you know, kind of like a casual (sighs) leisurely hike up and then they go down and then they go up like
0: it look it, I, I don't want to give you the the caveat it, it's it's different for everyone but what i will say is for for the average participant there's going to be hikes where it all feels easy you're having a conversation you're eating food at the aid station you know you're burning so many calories that you're like you know what i'm going to have a whole bag of MMs, or i'm going to do this or whatever it is because at some point fuel is fuel right? Your body just needs simple sugars at the end of the day to keep moving. So maybe you're eating foods you don't normally eat. Maybe, you know, you're having a Coke for the first time in a long time to get some quick sugar and some caffeine and, and it's fun and it's lighthearted. And then all of a sudden it's not right. And, and I think that's where the lessons are learned is that I, I always say, you know, I did, I did uh five of the six events last year that we had and people are like, well, it's easy for you. Well, there's a point in time where it's really, uh, I won't cusp. It's really hard. Right. Like at some point, it just gets really hard. No matter where you're at, you're tired, you're bent on your feet, you want sleep, you don't want to eat anymore. You don't want to take another salt pill, but you know, you need to do these things to keep your body moving. And, And what I find is the beautiful thing about this, because it's not a race, when you're at your lowest point, the people around you may not be. And they're encouraging because you're walking with them. Again, you know, you're not running in a race. You're not riding a bike at 20 something miles an hour. You're able to have conversations with people and you may get into shutdown mode. I don't want to talk, but there could be someone next to you that's inspiring you and they're in their good moments. And I think that that's the amazing thing is because the event lasts such a long time, you're able to see the benefit of not giving up on yourself. You're able to work through those low moments and be like, oh, wait, it's not going to continue to get worse. At some point it will get better. And I think the most beautiful examples are the sun rises again. And some people stay out and hike all night. And at 4 a.m., 4.30, you know, you finally realize the saying is darkest before the dawn. You're like, I can't believe it's this dark. And it's been this dark for this long, but guess what? The sun comes up again and you immediately get the benefits of seeing the sun. And you're a fan of Andrew Huberman, you know, and Huberman lab, you know, (laughs) exposing yourself to sunlight early in the day. Well, this is a testament to the nth degree of how much you benefit from seeing the sunrise early in the morning, right? And I think it's that's where the beauty of the event comes in: is that you have a lot of opportunities to give up on yourself, and you get even many more opportunities to the benefits of continuing to go and and to think about things in a positive light rather than a negative light.
1: You know, it almost seems like for 36 hours you're on this emotional roller coaster. <laughs> of highs and lows. And th- this, but then there's this community, this awesome community. And I'm sure there's probably people that have done it before. Sure. And that are different stages of life and experience that are just, they are like cheering you on. I mean, I'm like getting like emotional, just thinking about it. Like I'm picturing myself doing this. Cause as soon as we, you know, connected, I was like, Marnie and I both said, okay, we have to do this. And we actually had this idea she has a 22 year old. Is Zach 22 now? Or he will be. No, he's 22. Have, he's going to be 23. Oh, gosh. Well, I have an almost 18 year old. And so we, we said both boys were like, oh, how cool would that be to do this with them? Like a mother son experience. Will it, it, it will it, be. I that you just uh, said that. It will be. Not it could be. It yeah, will be. It will. You reframed it into the. Yeah.
0: We've had a handful of mothers and sons do it together. And it's really? incredibly impactful. Oh, I mean, we've had father daughters. I mean, I mentioned Jim Fisher. I mean, his son Chuck is in his mid 40s, right? They did it together, right? And so it's, you see, all stages of life. But it's, again, because it's not a race, it gives you a lot of opportunities to do things with people who, you know, sometimes a sibling or a son or a daughter could be focused on something completely different, winning, going fast, uh, or, or vice versa. You know, the, the, the parents the endurance athlete and, and the, the, the child is not. Removing a lot of those awards or things of recognition from this event, I think removes a lot of pressure from someone feeling like they need to perform. And, and it's really about connecting, being in nature. I always say nature is our silent partner in this. I mean, it's amazing to spend this much time in nature and put your phone down, right? You know, focus on just this task. Uh, I just did a trip to London with my 13 year old, uh, just the two of us. And we travel a lot as a family, but the benefits of just doing things that were just the two of us, not with my other son, not with my wife. And and thinking about having that experience take place on a mountain for two or three days would, would be incredible. Um, you know, I get some of that because my family comes to most of the events, but Seeing it play through and seeing the opportunity for both of you to do with your sons uh, would be something I'd highly encourage because I know what it's done for people to get to kind of spend that quality time together and, and work through issues together, right? There's, there's times when your son's gonna need you, or you and you're gonna need your son. And I think that's powerful when, when those are the only things in life that you're really focused on right then is that the relationship and dealing with the problem at hand.
2: And now a quick shout out to our sponsor Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving.
1: I discovered Organifi about three years ago and fell in love with the gold chocolate blend, which I enjoy in the evenings. I love that it contains ashwagandha, which reduces stress and supports a healthy cortisol level. And it really gives me that fix when I want something chocolatey or sweet in the evening and it's perfect and nice and calming before bed.
2: And I'm really enjoying the Organifi Green Juice, which has a ton of superfoods in it, and it's so much easier than juicing. And it's also great if you struggle to get your greens in. Each Organifi blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water. It's great on the go, and there's no compromise in
1: quality for taste. Organifi takes great pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high quality superfoods too by heading over to Organifi.com slash livingwell. That's organif dot com slash livingwell and use our code livingwell for 20% off your entire order. Yeah. And you said like just being present, being in nature, which Marnie and I talk about nature all the time on this podcast and just getting out and putting the phone away. And I just don't I can't think of anything better, actually, as we have this conversation, you know, and then going through those challenges and supporting each other. And like, I think getting being vulnerable, especially for a mother and a son could be really, really powerful switching gears a little bit, how does someone train for this? Because this seems a little overwhelming for a lot of the people out there that are not endurance athletes. And just speaking of myself, you know, I've ran a half marathon and 10 Ks, but other than that, like that's kind of it. Right. And I know you said there's all walks of life doing this, but how does someone even start? Like what's the duration that you recommend leading up to the event? Can you walk us through that a little bit?
0: Yeah, I mean, our, our training programs are specific to each mountain, but they're all five months long, right? They're all 20 week programs, and we have four tiers to the program. So think about tier one being I've never done anything, I've never run a mile, and tier four being I regularly do marathons or Ironmans. And the idea is to, to build up through consistency the amount of time you're spending on feet. We do some strength work, there's stretching. Like I said, there's coaching calls where you can ask questions, you can interact with the coaches, Uh, you're going to learn a lot from the community, we have a private network and private group where you're surrounded by alumni who have done the event, you can get get every tip from them. But really, you find that the real benefit of endurance sport training is, um, it's cumulative, right? If you miss a workout after three months, you don't immediately go back to the beginning, you consistently get better. And I think this is an event that, you know, really rewards those that just put in consistent work. And it's not a tremendous amount of time. You know, you could be spending somewhere between 30 minutes to an hour a day, whereas I can tell you training for Ironman, it's really hard to do that. You you need to spend closer to two to three hours a day to, to really want to finish an Ironman well. You need to be spending closer to three hours a day. That's not to say that there aren't days here getting closer to the event where you won't spend six to 10 hours on a Saturday hiking. We do have a couple of the bigger days. It's really important for you to, to get used to nutrition, time on feet, hydration over a longer period of time. But you're hiking in nature. I, I'm just trying to put that in perspective of like your long days is not like going out and running 20 miles on the roads, right? If you're not a runner, it's okay. You don't have to run it all through this entire program. You're just going to spend more time walking and that's okay. If you live in Florida and you don't have the ability to hike, climb mountains, it's okay. Our finisher rate, does not change based on location of country or access to trails or things like that. What you really find is that when you get to the event, it becomes how well can you react to the the unexpected, right? Your stomach hurting, you don't want to eat. I'm unbelievably empathetic. I hope I've created an empathetic company and brand that really is inclusive and supportive. But guess what? If you want to finish, you have to eat. That's all it takes. And, And by the way, when you look at the best endurance athletes in the world. Do you think they want to eat with their heart rate significantly higher than ours is on the mountain? No, they just figured out a way to do it. They still have the same GI issues. They're not They're not um, robots. They they they've just realized, hey, if I want to attain this goal, there's certain sacrifices I have to make. And if you learn that through training, but I can't stress enough how the avatar of our average competitor, no one's average, but uh, is my wife. She never even done a 10K she never run six miles in her life. And she put in the training for five months and finished an event in 2018. You know, the first one she signed up for, she finished. It wasn't easy. She only had three hours left on the clock, right? And um, but Did she do it again? She is not. She said she would <laughs> never do it again. But that's interesting how... <laughs> Just uh, wondering. How do you forget? She's talked a lot about doing another one. I think she got everything she needed from the first one and she proved to herself, she was capable of it and said, now I want to go and I want to be on the sidelines and I want to cheer. And recently it's been, who am I going to share this experience with again? Right. She did it with two of her girlfriends. And I think the bonds are made through this are just absolutely incredible. And it's been "Who of my other friends would I want to share this experience with and do it. And, and it's just starting to come back. I've seen, I, I make sure not to push, (laughs) That's (laughs) <laughs> that's <laughs> one of the reasons that we're still here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it took yeah. me a long time to realize that believe me, I made many <laughs> more mistakes than I got right early on, but, um, but yeah, I still be back. And, and then look, we see over a third of our participants repeat, which is a phenomenally wow. high. Rate. And I think it speaks to the community and the environment that's created. It's uh, it's kind of a cocoon of goodness, right? It's where you realize like there's good people in this world and you see people be very vulnerable that are normally not vulnerable people. And when you ask for help, it can be very freeing, And when you give help, it feels really good. And I think we've created an environment where it's really encouraged to do both.
2: I love that. So can we go back to the training for a second? So when I sure. was you know, discovering and learning more about this, I was kind of envisioning. So I live in Minneapolis. We don't have mountains here. It's pretty flat. I was envisioning, okay, I guess I'll be walking on my treadmill at an incline of 10 for two hours. Like, like what does the training look like to someone who lives in a flat area where we can hike, you know, there's flat miles and miles we can walk, but like, what does that look like? I'm just,
0: um, first of all, time on feet is, is kind of the number one thing, right? Getting used to being on your feet and, and building up, you know, your aerobic capacity. Secondly, you know, the treadmill at an incline is unbelievably effective, right? And, and I'd say almost more effective than hiking only for the fact that what you're doing in our event is only going uphill. And typically when you hike, you got to go up and down, right? So you're, you're being very efficient in training your muscles. And lastly, strength exercises. We have people who live on flatland, don't have a treadmill and they're doing leg thrusters, leg blasters, step ups. There's a lot of things you can do to build those muscles and build those those stabilizer muscles to get you ready. And you know I wanna be candid about something. We've had people finish our event never touching our training program. They go to Orange Theory five days a week, that's what they do, and they're fine. And, and what I mean by that is like, look, this is not a technical event. You don't have to for perfect swimming form. You, know, you don't have to know how to be aero on a bike. This is the type of thing where if, if, if you put in the work physically beforehand through any method of getting ready for this event, I believe it truly becomes something that's significantly more mental than physical, right? It's, do you eat enough? Do you hydrate enough? Do you focus on yourself and not on others? And are you willing to forgo some amount of sleep, right? Because there there really is enough time that it becomes a game of time management. The amount that I see people negotiate with themselves when it gets to be 10 o'clock, be like, I did enough today. I'm going to go get a night's sleep. I I always try to reframe it as like, whenever you're done, go up the mountain one more time, because on Saturday, you're going to be like, I'm so glad I only have four hikes and not five. No one's ever woken up and been like, I shouldn't have done that last one the night before (laughs) it's always the opposite. And maybe you don't move as fast. Uh, Maybe it's hotter, Uh, maybe, you know, you have issues with clothing or a cramp or whatever it is comes up the next day. It's just one night of sleep in your whole life. If you've had kids, you had unbelievably untold nights where you didn't sleep. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I I think that's really what becomes important, not to downplay the training. If you follow the plan, you're fine. But what you do that weekend uh, is going to far outweigh missing a training day or putting in extra training because there's enough time for, I would say, there's some people that physically are not capable of finishing. But I would say that is like less than 1% of participants. Some people's goal is not to finish, just to do one hike. We have amazing stories of people overcoming injuries, car accidents, incredible weight loss stories where their goal is to get up one time and prove to themselves they can do it once. And most of the time, they go up a second and a third time and blow themselves away. But for people who want to finish, there's plenty of time. And people who are physically able to finish, it normally ends up being a mental mistake. Um, and them kind of giving up on themselves is really, unfortunately, where, where a lot of people don't finish.
1: That's that's awesome to hear. I think it's just fairly encouraging. So can you, Mark, share with us, like, take us back to the first time that one, someone would finish um, one of your experiences? how has it been life-changing for them? I mean, I can only imagine on many levels and you've shared a little bit, but like, can you share a specific story of someone and just the impact that completing your event has had on their life?
0: I I won't focus on one person. What I'll say is I've seen a, a trend of people being highly successful in life and yet they're doing what comes easy to them and realizing they're capable of a hell of a lot more. So, They're an amazing lawyer, or they're an amazing consultant, they're an amazing business owner, or they're an amazing stay-at-home dad, whatever it may be, you know, they're they're very good at what they do. And we continue as we get older to do things we're good at, right? We fail all the time as kids. We play all different kinds of sports. We try different instruments. We do all these different types of things. And then we find out like, oh, failing is kind of scary. I'll just stick to the things I'm good at. What I see is this opens people's eyes up to... Well, there's this whole world of other things that I'm capable of that I'm not doing. Why am I not doing that? Why am I not betting on myself? Why am I just staying in my comfort zone? There's so much more that I'm benefiting from getting out of this comfort zone. So I think the first is people go home with a different perspective on what they're capable of. I think another thing that people really walk away from is, is patience, Right. And I've heard it time and time again of how much people could get derailed by an email, traffic, other types of things. And when you're in an event like this, you've got to just be where your feet are. You can't think on your first hike. I have 16 more at Stratton. You become overwhelmed. Right. So I think the patience is is a second thing that I see a lot. The third is gratitude. Like This is romantic in me, but I, I we go to places, Whistler, Sun Valley, Jackson Hole, Snow Basin, Utah is absolutely breathtaking. Stratton, Vermont in the fall, seeing the fall foliage. I and mean, we're in some of the most gorgeous parts of this country. I think people get an appreciation of it's not all about me. It's not all about technology. It's not all about materialistic things. Like I'm quite small in this world. And that transpires, too, from... Seeing the sunrise two days in a row, watching the sunset. Some of us don't have the opportunity where we live to have a view of those things, right? And realizing you're a small part in a much bigger thing that's going on, I think, feels good too. And that initially being the world, but then very specifically this community. I think people realize how nice it is to help and be helped. So the stories that I've seen is people who've never done an endurance event before then going off and doing crazy endurance events and taking that route, people going off and launching a podcast or writing a book that they talked about for doing a decade. And then being like, wait, if I can go climb for 36 straight hours, I can go launch and do this project, right? I can do this. Sometimes it was having a very hard conversation and reconnecting with a loved one that for 10 years they've been blocked. Right. And this was like, wait, life is short. Why have I not talked to my sister and my brother? Let's so, I mean, all those examples have come out, right? But those that, that I think, you know, have had some of the most impactful experiences, it's hard for me to recognize that I was a big part in creating this and my team has been, it's very humbling. You know, I mean, I I, I have more texts and emails and they've. I will never get over or tired of, of people telling me how it's just changed their perspective on so many things in their life. And, and really I think about, the world we live in today, I think people tend to mostly see the negative on social media. There's the world we live in is, is I'm, I'm very grateful for all the benefits of me being able to work from anywhere. And my phone can be my office a lot of the time. And I also realize a lot of the, the negative attributes that come with that. And I think this really highlights for people, man, this is a wonderful place to be. And there's really good people here. And, and I think people leave feeling with a sense of positivity and warmth is really what I hope.
2: I'm just like so inspired. I, 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 you know, when I was like doing some research for this conversation today, I was on your website and I was it was like sold out, sold out, sold out, sold out. Every single experience is sold out. So how far in advance are these selling out? And like, you must have to, we as a person that wants to do this must have to plan really far ahead.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, we go on sale typically the first week of November for the next year. This, okay. Good to know. This last this last year, we had three locations sell out in less than a minute. Um,
1: oh my! And gosh. the
0: other, <laughs> the other, the other two were within under an hour. So I mean, if it's something you want to do, you do need to. I'm not one to try to like spin the hype <laughs> machine. But in the last <laughs> couple of years, we've sold out day one. So this last year, we, we opened up a second Snow Basin weekend. And, and we launched that and, um, and that, that took a, f- a few weeks just because it wasn't tied in with the initial launch. So it's harder to get back in front of the audience and everything. But quite frankly, um, the other first five events all sold out um, within roughly an hour. And the first three with, you know, the first two are within, you know, 10 to 15 seconds. So it's not quite Taylor Swift launch, but...
2: Wow. It sounds like it's pretty close. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: we just, we focus so much on your experience and... Look, a mountain can hold 5,000 people. We limit them to 275 because there's a, a lot of laws of numbers. And when you get above about 300 people, it changes. But over three and four days, you can really get to know the majority of people. And it, it feels like a big wedding in that sense. If you've been to a big wedding that lasted three days, by Sunday morning brunch, you kind of knew most people. And that's, that's what takes place here. And, and I get nervous that if we put more people on the mountain, that changes so we're very respectful of that.
1: Yeah, that makes sense, and I think what you said when you start—we started the conversation. This very intimate, curated experience is what you're, is what you've created, and you you don't want to take away from that. So Marnie and I will just really, you know, whatever time that these tickets go on sale, the first week of November, we'll have to like be on five devices yeah. at once, right? To get
0: we communicate it pretty well, and I think what we've learned is you know, over the years, it's good just to have a plan. Don't have your heart set on one location, you know, right. just be willing, like all of the locations are amazing. And when you have your heart set on, you know, if we announce a new location, we've never been to before. A lot of alumni are seeking to go to that too. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's the most important thing is realizing our experience is the same everywhere. What we put on as a team, we hold ourselves the same standard and you know where you do it. Is certainly a, a, a part of the experience, no doubt, but, you know, focus more on the challenge itself and what you're going to get out of it, rather than just having your heart set on like, I'm only going to Jackson Hole. Jackson Hole is amazing. You should go to Jackson Hole without doing this event, right? Like I'm a huge fan yeah. of it, but if you're only willing to do our event there, that's a challenge, right? Whereas if you're willing to say, Hey, I'm willing to go to other locations. And, and look, Iron Man saw the same thing. They had certain locations that were much more highly desired than others. All of ours are desired. I think it's just you just need to be flexible in where you want to go if if you really want to have this experience.
2: Well, it's interesting because I when I was looking at the different ones, I was wondering if there were some that were better for first timers versus, you know, alum. And I know some of them have higher elevations, a little sure. bit higher elevations, but it sounds like you're saying it doesn't really matter. Is that correct? I mean, look, it
0: does no, I don't. I don't want to be quoted saying it doesn't matter from a difficulty standpoint. Huh. Climbing from 6,000 feet in snow basin to 8,400 feet is harder than at Stratton Mountain going from, you know, 2,000 to 3,600, right? There's just an effective altitude without a doubt. At the same time, it's going to be dry. You're not going to have to deal with the cold right in, in snow basin. And, and some people much prefer that. And the terrain is dry. Whereas in, in Vermont, there's a much more difficult factor in getting up the mountain when it's full of mud and muck, like every step is much harder. So it's, I don't think there's just not an easy way to do this. There certainly would be a, a slight variance between finisher rates at the events, but it's also, I studied a decent amount of statistics in college. I guess it's a small data set. Right. So it's really hard to say, hey, one year over another, if there's more alumni in the field or more people who, who will have a goal of just hiking one time, they do skew the data a decent amount. I think at the end of the day, there's no shortcut. It's going to be hard. And that's really, you know, as, as my partner, Jesse says, like you, that's what you signed up for. You want it yeah. to be hard. Right. right. So I, I think you got to lean into those challenges with wherever you sign up to do it.
2: Do you have a favorite, like a personal favorite? I know I'm sure you love them all, but do you have like one that's just extra (laughs) special in your heart?
0: (laughs) There's something really unique about Stratton. And and that's just because that's where our first one was. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's the one that I'm the most nostalgic about. Every time we go back there, it's just... No, I'm not knocking Vermont. Like it's a pretty place, but Whistler's just drop dead gorgeous. I mean, you hike through, you know, this old growth forest... And then you come out and you think you're in the French Alps and you're, you're looking at these jagged peaks everywhere. I mean, it's an awe-inspiring view. And I don't know you get that in Vermont. You're in much newer lodges at some places. Sun Valley with the river going by is just insane. You're there in June and the weather's perfect. But there's something about going back to Vermont where it all started and really not knowing what was going to happen and seeing how much the event has transpired. And, and there's a lot of familiar faces there right? The director of ops, the um, the head of sales, the president of the mountain, the GM, you know, they they welcome us like family. And we're very welcome the other places too. But I just think the history that goes back with Vermont, certainly it, it feels good. It feels like we're on home a little bit when we go home, when we go there.
1: Well, I have a very open mind now. I would be excited about any of these locations based on what you just shared. Some of them I've been to, some of them I haven't. So, and clearly, even if you've been to one of the mountains or hiked it, this would be a very different experience. So, so Mark, I know our listeners right now are just probably super intrigued to learn more, of course, but even those that aren't maybe ready for this challenge, we'd love sharing with our audience just tips, you know, tips to maybe start hiking or just start a, a challenge. Like what's a challenge or something that they could do to help them get outside of that comfort zone and, you know, experience life in a different way and disconnect and all the things that you shared today.
0: Yeah, look, and this is not a plug for 29. It's, you got to sign up for something. You have to have an end goal in mind and, and put something on your calendar that scares you. Right. And, and scaring you could be small, right. It could be like, I'm going to lose X amount of pounds by this date. I'm going to take my cholesterol level to this. I'm gonna do whatever. You have to have something that's a guidepost. And so I don't think there's ever going to be a right time for this. I've realized a lot with endurance sport, even myself being like, oh, well, before I hire my coach again, before I sign a race, I'm going to, I'm going to start getting in the shape myself, or I'm going to start doing these things. No, it never really happens until you actually sign up put something on your calendar. So I think it's, you know, make a commitment to yourself that you're going to do something uh, because you don't know of all the other benefits that'll, that'll take place in life along the way. Right. And, and I'm no expert on health and wellness when it comes to what you should eat or how much you should sleep or what you should drink or not. I don't ever want to give advice to people in terms of, you know, their nutrition or anything, but when you have something that means a lot to you and is a goal, you realize like how much waste you have in your daily life. Like these things you say like I don't have time to train. Well, somehow I found a way in one year to do my first Ironman and launch 29 to 29. I never missed a kid's game or practice. Right. So like, it's possible. I'm I'm not superhuman. I just cut out a lot of garbage, right? Like you just cut away all these types of things of someone asking me, Hey, Mark, can you go get drinks? And so it's like, I'm going to go for a walk for two hours. If you want to see me, meet me on my walk. So you can still network. You can still take a meeting you just figure out a way to make it work into the things that are important in your life. And that's why I think you, you, you can't wait for the right time. There's no right time. Just sign up for something. I realize like our event, you can't sign up for until November. Do something before then. You know, ladder up to a big event. I just think it's important to start somewhere. And, you know, even if it's starting small with something like take athletic greens every morning. I don't work for them. They're not a partner, but like, it just makes yeah. me feel good to greens in my body to start the day before I have my coffee, right? Like there's just super small things you can do. Just take one call a day walking, right? Take one business call a day walking. Most people who are listening probably can work from home. Just take one call where you don't have to sit in front of the Zoom for 30 minutes and walk outside with your earpods. Like you'll just feel better that you weren't sitting at a desk. So I think there's just a lot of little hacks like that that you can actually realize, oh, wait, I can actually train for this event while I'm working and I think better. I, I'm more clear outside. Just small things like that will go a long way. I,
2: I love that advice. And I... Last year I did a half marathon and I remember when me and my friend had si- signed up for it together, I hadn't done one, like the lat the one previous to that, that I did was like 10 years earlier. So I was a little daunted by it. Cause I hadn't really run a whole lot more than a couple miles and just having, just signing up was like motivating enough that we're really like, okay, we're doing this. Like we have to train, we have to get ready for this. So I, it I, it agree so yeah. much. It makes it real. You can talk and talk and talk, but until you actually
1: sign the dotted line, it's all talk. That's right. Yeah. And I think that, like, I, the one line that you said was put something on your calendar that scares you. That is mm-hmm. such great advice. And it can be applicable to, you know, like, like you said, anything, any area. Well, we'll be putting November 1st on our calendar. Uh, yes. <laughs> with multiple yeah, multiple alarms
2: so we yes. don't forget. <laughs> right, maybe October thirty first, so we
1: have a heads up. <laughs>
2: right.
0: That's right,
1: totally. So, Mark, where can people find you? How can they connect with you? Sign up, get on your emails so that they can to sign up sure. in early November.
0: The easiest thing to do is just Google two nine zero two nine. So, just the numbers twenty nine thousand twenty nine feet that were the first link on Google. I would suggest um, reading some of the stories on the website. Go to our website. We put a lot of time and effort into kind of recapping in people's own words their experience at Twenty Nine, and you'll see kind of some of the transformation um, that people have had in the event, and and hopefully get a good appreciation for who's on the mountain with you, right? It's it's it's, it's just a wonderful community, and um, since day one we had a no asshole policy, and it didn't mean that we screamed, <laughs> right? Um, That's
2: amazing. But
0: just like anyone I hired, any vendor we worked with, any speaker, any coach, and I hope in our language and what we've done, we we haven't spoken to that person, right? And so I think this is a place where if you're scared, if you're nervous, like sign up, we'll take care of you. I mean, like you have my word and I, I mean a lot when I say this, that me and my whole team, we will do anything for anyone to help them finish right? Like our goal is your goal. And we just want it to, to be the best experience possible. For some people that's not finishing. That's okay. And, and you're not going to ever be pressured to finish. Uh, we celebrate every effort out there. And, you know, one of the things that I love that, that one of my partners always says is like, there's only two acceptable outcomes at our event. You achieve your goal or you spend every minute and every bit of effort giving it your all to achieve the goal. And either one's a win. Like if you leave it all out there for all 36 hours and you don't finish, that's okay. Like what more, that's actually more impressive than the person who finishes in 22 hours. And we celebrate that. So there's not too many places in life where I feel like you're, you're championed for failing or, or for signing up for something new. And I want this to be that place. So um, I'd encourage people just to start and, and to follow along on Instagram. It's uh, 29 to 29 ever seen. And we really just do our best to, to kind of be very honest about what takes place on the mountain and let people tell the story themselves.
2: I love that. Thank you. And we'll link all that up in the show notes. So Mark, as we wrap up this conversation, one question we'd like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you?
0: So it's changed over the years and and I feel very, you know, privileged and grateful to be able to say this. It's doing what I want, where I want, with who I want. That's it. Right. Like for me, it's, it's being in control. And right now, what I want to do is create this environment for people. I want to focus on my own health and wellness. I want to share time with my family and kids and I want to surround them in a community that shows them there's other people that do the same thing. And 29 out of 29 does that. So, you know, the ability to, to to choose to do this podcast and not be on some call or in some meeting, the ability to, you know, take a call while walking, right? The, the ability to work out in the middle of the day, if I want to, I think having some autonomy over that, is important, And maybe that means I've turned down other career or uh, monetary type things that I've realized didn't mean as much to me. So kind of that control of how I spend my time, who I spend it with and what I spend it doing to me is, is enabling me to live well in, in many different ways. Because I truly think that we all strive for balance. It's very hard to find it. But when I found the most balance has been when I've been, been in control of those things.
1: That's so inspiring. And, and like you said, it doesn't always mean taking the higher paying job or the, the opportunity that may on that surface appear more desirable, but you know, what brings you joy and what is your sort of your, your non-negotiables like we talked about and spending time with family and you're able to create this life that encapsulates all that. So thank you for sharing and thank you for sharing all your time with us. And Marty and I are just really excited. I mean, I just have this like, like excitement in your stomach right now. Like when you were like too. anxious, but in a good way, <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs>
2: And so inspired. So, like It's truly yeah. amazing what you've created.
0: Well, I, look, all the things really goes to our community and the team. I just think if if you lead with, we're going to care the most in every aspect, which that's our first core principle, we're going to care the most. Um, we've led with that since day one. I'm an empathetic guy. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I've not been scared to lean into that. And, uh, and in previous ventures, I didn't, right? I tried to act as if I'm the entrepreneur, we're more successful than we are. We're bigger, we're growing faster. And now it's just kind of like, no, we're just going to care the most and we're going to do it. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I appreciate you giving us that compliment, but it, it goes a lot to my team, my partners. And it's just, I just hope to create an environment and, and be an inspiring leader that, that others want to work with and, you know, continue to understand that we have to just care for this community a lot. So I hope to share the mountain with both of you, stay in touch and really appreciate you having me on today for sure.
2: Have a great day. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Thank you both.
2: Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the
1: Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want
2: more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook, where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.